Welcome to The New Way, the bite-sized podcast for leaders and executives like you who want to transform their organisation and inspire people to work in new ways. Forget stalled progress and disappointment from upstairs. Each episode, I reveal how to communicate your vision, drive change, and become the leader that everyone loves. No BS or fluff, just the practical info that you need. I'm Dr. Kate Byrne. Get ready for actionable insights, mini execution plans, and game-changing secrets from my 20 years in the trenches, supporting senior leaders to introduce the new way. (laughs) Let's get started. How can you make sure your most important stakeholders feel safe enough to genuinely engage with your change program? Have you ever thought about how the mental health of your organization impacts the success of your change initiatives? Well, today we're diving into exactly that. I'm talking with author, executive coach, consultant and facilitator, Tanya Heaney-Voot. Tanya specializes in helping organizations build mentally healthy workplaces through individual team and enterprise capability uplift and culture change. She was great to talk to. This episode is so important because the way we do change can have a huge impact on the health of our organization, for better or for worse. Mentally healthy workplaces aren't just a nice to have and they don't come at the expense of productivity. In fact, they are enablers of it. We cover so much good stuff in this conversation. I especially loved Tanya's recommendations on how to impactfully engage middle managers in the change program because we all know how important they are and the powerful tactic change leaders can use to generate quick wins if they want to transform their organization to a more mentally healthy one. Such a great chat. Okay, okay, let's listen in now. Hello, hello, Tanya. I'm thrilled that you're here on the show today. I'm so excited for us to chat. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Look, let me just dive straight in and put my cards on the table. I think that the way that change leaders and change teams engage with stakeholders when they are rolling out organisational change can make a really big difference, make a big impact to the health of a workplace. And that difference can either be good (laughs) or not. So I'm so excited for us to dive in today. Let me start with how do you define a mentally healthy workplace? It's a great question and it's also one of the major barriers is the misunderstanding because it's such an ambiguous concept and many people have this vision of you know, feet on the desk, sipping lattes, no accountability or or stress of any sort. And it's absolutely not that. A mentally healthy workplace, my definition, is one that really has recognised the role the workplace plays in either positively or negatively influencing individual mental wellbeing. You know, our individual mental health is complex. There are workplace factors, there are individual factors, and there's our home and social factors So for me, a mentally healthy workplace is one that's actually taking proactive steps to positively impact on psychological well-being. That's a great summary. Thank you. You've really explained that in a very clear and practical way for me. If I go into a workplace, are there kind of key traits or clues or signs that will give away to me whether a workplace is kind of mentally healthy or not? I think most of us that do work in this workplace culture space, often I think 
the reception, you know, your first greeting is quite indicative of culture, which is not always true because often, you know, maybe it's just an individual issue. But you do tend to feel it or sense that you just watch the interactions going on around you with people. You watch how leaders are working with their teams, whether teams feel safe to speak up, all that sort of thing. So mostly when there's cultural challenges, whether that means they're mentally unsafe is another story, but mostly if there's cultural challenges, people in the space who are attuned to it can kind of see those sort of things. The leaders and their leaders' personality and, again, the way they're interacting can be a bit of a giveaway for whether we've got this outdated command control style going on or whether we've got more of a inclusive, safe-to-learn environment, safe-to-contribute which is what we talk about when we talk about psychological safety. What is psychological safety? And I should say, a few years ago, I had an experience where a senior executive that I was working with said, psychological safety, I mean, it's all a bit of a wank. No, it's not, but yes. That's that's something that you come across as well. I think there's a certain group perhaps with some outdated views who say this is all a little bit soft and fluffy and that we're you know we're getting too mamby-pamby in the workplace and I would say to that well our current rates of mental injury and the rapid increase of those in the workplace unbelievably high figures of lost productivity as a result of poor mental health are pretty much telling another story if we want the organizational outcomes then we need to take note of this It's that simple. So let's go back to what is psychological safety? The definitions are really around an environment of rewarded vulnerability or environments where it is safe to speak up, to disclose mistakes, to contribute and challenge. However, the language is so confusing. There's a lot of same, same, but different. So psychological safety is often used as a term where people are actually meaning the broader umbrella term of psychological health and safety. But psychological safety itself is is a program of work. It is an intentional body of work that we do and we build in teams and then broader organisational lift, I suppose. It's also not just the opposite of psychological harm. So there's lots of misunderstanding. The language is a nightmare. The language is a barrier to this work. It's a major barrier. Uh, And the reality is I just say, look, forget the language. Just focus on what we all need to be focusing on. And that is mitigating those work-related factors that are negatively impacting individual mental wellbeing. Yeah. I love the definition that you snuck in there of an environment of rewarded vulnerability. I think that is kind of a useful working definition for people that they can take, that you can have when you're working with an organisation, you're on a client site, whatever it might be. So, something that I have seen you talking about is that mistake tolerance. Tell me more about what that means. I just might attribute that quote, the rewarded vulnerability, is Timothy R. Clark's definition, and he has a wonderful model, the four stages of psychological safety. So we've sort of taken a lot of this work of Amy Edmondson and other predecessors and created this really tangible model, which makes it very easy for organisations to understand and implement in the workplace, which previously psych safety is this very ambiguous concept, right? It's like, what does it mean? Yeah, we might understand it a little bit conceptually, but how do we then take that and implement that into the workplace? So one of those stages of Timothy Clark's model is learner safety, and that's where the link to mistake tolerance comes into it. So we actually want to make environments safe to learn, and if we shut down learning by criticising somebody if they make a mistake, by jumping on someone if they make a mistake, by publicly humiliating them if they make a mistake, well, nobody's going to take the risk to learn. Something incredibly important when it comes to change 
and supporting change adoption, isn't it? Because that openness to learning is a key part of working in new ways. Absolutely. I am ProSize certified, so I'm not necessarily mode agnostic. But if we think about ADCAR and we think about the K, the knowledge, if we don't allow them to ask questions, if we don't make it safe for them to ask silly questions or ask a second question, how will they ever build that knowledge to bridge that change gap? And for folks who are listening who don't know about ProSci, ProSci is a change management methodology and ADCAR is a model within that. And we will link to that in the show notes, as well as the four stages of psychological safety that you mentioned, Tim's work. If we're talking about particular resources or models, we'll make sure that we link to them in the show notes. Yes, I think that knowledge and that openness to learning and openness, Mm. that sense of safety to make mistakes is so important when you're taking people on the change journey. I want to talk more about change and some of the key stakeholders that people have to work with most of the time when they are seeking to introduce new ways of working and to really embed that in organisations. And I know how important middle managers are, no matter what the organisation, whether it's public sector or otherwise, and I know that this is something that you've thought about as well, how important middle managers are in terms of the rubber really hitting the road. They are often the engine room of the organisation and can kind of make or break your change initiative. I'd love to know how can change leaders work with stakeholders like this to create that sense of psychological safety to be open to change? So the first thing, you you know, you're so right. Our middle managers, I've called them the salami in the change sandwich. They are just so integral to any change and yet they are so often left out and change plans, change decisions are made and just, and pushed out. They're just told to get on board. But you also have a role in engaging your downlines and and making them bridge that change gap as well. It's never going to work well, is it, that scenario, but it's so common. Psychological safety is something that we need to build. We start in teams, so it's very much a team-based, but obviously we want that to permeate every team across the organisation, so it becomes a cultural practice. And if we've got that in place, if we've got aligning to Timothy Clark's model, if we've got inclusion safety, if we've got learner safety, contributor safety and challenger safety, if we've already built that, our change work should by nature be more collaborative. We should be consulting more with every individual and we should be absolutely open to hearing back from our middle managers and everybody else down the line. We understand where you want to be. We understand your desired future state. We just think there might be another pathway to take to get there. And the change leaders will be open to that. So psychological safety is really foundational for good change, but also mentally healthy workplaces for positive culture. I mean, it really is foundational. That's why people talk a lot about it. Again, it's bandied about as, you know, this phrase psychological safety and there's so much misunderstanding. But to proactively build psychological safety in your teams and create this culture across your workplace, there are multiple benefits. So I'm going down the mentally healthy workplaces line and I'm responding to your question about how does this help change. It would just make it so much safer, so much more consultative, which is what we know people are looking for. Poorly managed workplace change is actually a very common work-related stress factor. So in terms of proactively mitigating psychological harm, you know, it's a high-flyer problem. Poorly managed workplace change, it's a high-flyer problem. It's well-recognised as being quite a high contributor to work-related stress. Mm. And I absolutely agree that that genuine consultation can really open doors 
in that space and that on a practical level, change leaders and their teams, change management teams, it would be amazing if they could be seeking opportunities early on when they're designing the change agenda, if you're the change leader, when you are designing the vision for that to kind of consult in a genuine way with that middle management layer. And I guess that continues then through the change journey that you would engage with those middle managers in a particular way where you were very open. It felt like you were open to feedback throughout the change journey and identifying their needs. Because like you said, quite often they are responsible for sharing information and kind of managing the change downwards into their teams. Absolutely. They're perhaps not even being sold on the change themselves because that work hasn't been done at that middle manager level. And yet, so we're asking someone who's potentially internally and externally resisting the change themselves to then engage and lead and coach others. It's stupid. Whoever thought that was going to be a good idea? I mean, for goodness sake, you know, we've just got to do things differently. So I've been supporting an organisation who are doing a structural realignment. So, you know, the yucky end of change. And there was a design at executive, a small executive team had designed the change. The plan was for a an organisational meeting and a push out of this new structure. Multiple tiers involved in the realignment. How about we actually speak with our management group first? and have a conversation about this is the problem we're trying to solve, this is the future state where we need to be, these are our early musings, help us define the best path forward. And fortunately, they decided to do that, which was great. It's nice ability to influence positively there, which was really good that they were open to that. Not everyone is open to that, as you will well know. And the outcome they've had from that original management meeting has been incredible. Part of quite a major change they were going to have to make is now no longer on the table because they found another solution, because they've been open to that feedback. You know, the ripples, the negative ripples down the line would have been significant and impacted their culture long term. We've got to find new ways, yeah. I think that's a great example to consider. And it makes me wonder, do you see that there is a trend to being more open to this kind of work, that kind of consultation, those kinds of ideas leading to healthier, inclusive, contributing workplaces? Or do you see that there's still a number of roadblocks? I'd love to be able to say yes. I think those that have recognised or engaged with change support in whatever mechanism that is, or they have internal change teams, I think they are seeing this a different way. And I think people are starting to take a chance on a different way because everyone's looking for ways to reinvigorate their workforce, right? So, okay, maybe we'll try this differently because we know we haven't done this well in the past. So I think there's a bit more openness to try something new But overall, I'm still seeing workplace change being pushed out in a tell mode. This is what we're doing, which is not a mentally healthy workplace way of doing things and not conducive to good change or successful change, as we know, or long-term, a positive culture. So we're just disengaging people who are already really struggling right now because everybody across the board is fatigued. We've had heaps of change saturation, so we've got all this change fatigue going on in individuals in their life and in the workplace. And by doing something new, they can do that. They can reinvigorate their workplace and encourage people to stay by saying, we're going to do change differently now, or we're going to create a mentally healthy workplace. And this is what it's going to look like. And I've seen huge, huge turnaround, huge re-engagement of a team and a workplace purely because of the intent 
the organisation released their intent to do this work and form a working party that involved all areas of the organisation. So the re-engagement by sincere efforts to do things differently. Maybe that's the hidden gem of 2022. You know, maybe that's what people need to be doing. Everybody's looking for a way to re-engage their tired people. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's a huge opportunity. I think that is a wonderful way to look at that and have that perspective on things. So there is a really, really big opportunity there and sharing openly that the way that you intend to do change in your organisation is going to be different and is going to become more meaningful and more engaging or whatever it may be, that there's real opportunity there. Absolutely. And it doesn't take a lot. I mean, in Transforming Norm, my book, Transforming Norm, it's big, okay, to truly transform a workplace to be mentally healthy. As we know, transformation takes time and and it's one of the barriers because you know, we live in an instant gratification kind of world. So it is a barrier when we're talking about long-range work. But there are some really quick wins and it is about the intent and the sincere intent and inviting people to contribute on what that might look like, co-designing the future of our workplaces, co-designing how we do change going forward. You know, I was supporting a health service executive doing a complete redesign of their mental health services as a result of the Mental Health Commission And historically, very, very poorly managed change in that workplace, not uncommon in health, and my background's in health, so I'm well qualified to say that. And it's usually because of time poor, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't have all the information. Not everything that people wanted to know was known, how much money there was going to be, what the timelines were going to look like for these new services, what the service models were going to be. So tell them what you do know, tell them what you don't know, tell them when you hope you'll know, but tell them we have not always managed change well in the past. We are going to do this differently. This is how. And the response from that, you know, we had our change coaching session and she said, I could not believe the response in the room to just me saying that, to declaring. And I said, well, everybody knows it. You're not telling them something they don't know. But by you putting it out there, it's a great act of leadership, isn't it? Vulnerability as well. But a great act of leadership to acknowledge we haven't always done change well and we're going to do it differently. We're committing to doing it differently and this is how. X, Y, Z. Such a powerful thing. Simple. Ten-minute conversation. Simple. That is a great, practical, very, very impactful tip for people listening. If they want to kick something off or re-energise something, give something some fresh energy in terms of, when I say something, I mean their initiative, their change project, whatever it is that they may be working on. And as you were saying that, yes, I was thinking that is such a perfect example of that rewarded vulnerability that we were talking about earlier Because I know that and I have seen in practice that quite often the change leader needs to go first with being vulnerable. The person who is the most senior in the room, and that includes in an all hands (laughs) across the organisation, but in any team setting, in any meeting setting, in any room, things can change so quickly when the most senior person in the room is genuinely vulnerable and genuinely discloses and puts it out there. Yeah, absolutely. People come to these meetings in a defensive mode. So you almost help them flick their switch, you know, flick that switch off to actually embracing, okay, and and trusting again because there's been this declaration of honesty. We're not only telling them that we're going to do it differently, we're telling them how. So it's not lip service. These are the three things we've engaged, change, support. You know, we're, we're creating this group here. You're all here because you're going to co-design. We know things need to change. This is how we're going to communicate with you. 
this is when we expect to know what we'll know. And so it's again, it's a transparency. And it is a hard one to juggle, but quite often people hold everything back until they've got all the facts. In the meantime, the rumour mill's just gone into overdrive and the fear factor's gone through the roof and everybody assumes there's going to be mass redundancies and we're all going to lose our jobs. It's just the first link people make. It's always quite interesting, but it's so true. So by telling people what you do know up front, and you've obviously got to be quite careful about those messages. And when you hope to know more, you at least can control some of the narrative that's spinning around as well. But it shows integrity. It shows an intent to be open and to share the journey with people. Oh, that's such a great tip. And for folks listening, I hope that that is a practical tactic that you can take and put in your toolkit and use in a number of different ways. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm going to be chewing over this conversation all day, all week, I think. For folks who are listening who would like to keep this conversation going with you, how can they connect with you? Do you like people to connect with you on LinkedIn? I will happily talk to people who are passionate about leading positive change in any way they desire. <laughs> so my website, people can buzz me, email me. They can. I love people to connect on LinkedIn. It's always nice and drop me a message. It's very nice if we have a little, a little note with a connection request, say, oh, listen to the podcast. Anyway, they like, subscribe to the newsletter. I love talking change. Just keep leading positive change is my parting message and recognise the role change plays and appropriately manage workplace change plays in creating a mentally healthy workplace. It is one of the components on my wheel of change for transforming norm. So it's so important. So well done to all of your change listeners, Kate. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate this conversation. And I I'm sure this is the first of many conversations we're going to be having. Thank you so much. Until next time. See you later.